This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Greetings, winners. Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. I am indeed your host, Patrick Moran. Today is Monday, March 12th, 2018 which means we are five days away from St. Patrick's Day, which means I'm about five days away from being pretty fucking depressed if I'm being completely honest with you. I'm not going to be in Buffalo, New York to uh, celebrate St. Patrick's Day with my family and my friends, have a good time, hang out, drink, probably blackout somewhere. It's an annual tradition and I'm really going to miss it. And that part sucks. Missing that sucks. It really does. I've been a Buffalonian pretty much my whole life until about two years ago. About two years ago, we moved down to Florida. And that's because my wife, who has done an amazing job at her company, she's worked her ass off for five years. And they noticed. They gave her an opportunity to come down to Florida and be transferred and promoted at a company, I mean, that treats her like gold. How do you say no to that? And then furthermore, We have a son, a teenage son, who's a really good football player. And everybody knows Florida and Texas are where it's at when it comes to high school football. If you're a good high school football player down here, you're going to get found and you're going to have opportunities that you won't have in a lot of other states. So the opportunities were just too good to pass up. And we live in Florida now. And don't get me wrong, for the most part, I like living in Florida. It's nice down here. The weather's gorgeous, especially in the winter and the spring. The people are pretty nice. I've made a lot of good friends. There's a lot of things to do down here, a lot of beaches, a lot of amusement parks. I mean, there's just an endless stream of things you could do. Plus, I'll admit, I was completely down to move to Florida because A, I work remotely, and B, and more importantly, I was tired of freezing my ass off in the winter. Freezing my ass off in the winter was no fucking fun for me anymore. But nothing, and I mean nothing compares to being in Buffalo for St. Patrick's Day time, nothing. And I don't care where you're listening from. I don't care if you're in Boston, Cleveland, London, Tokyo, Georgia. I don't give a shit where you are from. There's nothing that is better than being in Buffalo in March around St. Patrick's Day time, nothing. My family kind of made a little pack amongst ourselves that when we moved, we would always be able to come back to Buffalo for two things, for Christmas and St. Patrick's Day. Literally, those are the two things that we said we got to get back up for. But this year, there's just a couple things beyond our control, a couple circumstances with work and other things. We just can't make it this year. So we'll do something in Florida and we'll have some fun doing it, I'm sure. I mean, I know there's Irish people down here in Florida and there'll be things going on and I'm sure the weather will be great. 
But I'm not going to lie to you. I'd rather be freezing my nuts off in Buffalo with all of our friends, drinking way too much, going on the South Buffalo pub crawl, and just doing stupid shit. I'll get over it. I hope. Anyway, enough rambling on about Buffalo and St. Patrick's Day and Irish and all that. I have a fantastic podcast coming up for you guys today. I have an interview with former Buffalo Bills and NFL tight end Doran Dickerson. And I'm telling you right now, Doran is one of the most intelligent, well-spoken, and insightful football guys that I've ever interviewed. As many of you guys know, recently at the NFL Combine, Darius Geis, who's a running back prospect from LSU, was asked a series of completely inappropriate and over-the-top questions by an NFL executive during the interview process. He was asked questions about his sexual orientation, and he was asked if his mother was a prostitute. Well, Doran went through the same exact thing in 2010, was asked a lot of the same type of questions, and he sheds a little bit light on us about what went on during that process back in 2010. We also talk about his time with the Buffalo Bills in 2012, when the team only went 6-10, and 10, and Doran strongly feels that that team underachieved, at least in part, because of a lack of leadership from the head coach and just a general lack of having fire in your belly from the team. It felt like they were going through the motions, and there's a lot of reasons for that, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about 2013, where when he was with the Detroit Lions, Doran hit a concussion and tried playing through it. We're going to talk about that and a lot more. So That's a really good interview. Looking forward to bringing that to you guys. Then after that, I talked to Tone Pucks for our weekly Pad with Pucks segment, which this week is an all-football segment. How can it not be? What a crazy, crazy week with football, and it's only going to get crazier. Guys getting cut all over the place. Trades happening all over the place. There's probably been a trade in the four minutes that it's taking you to listen to this intro. Just a lot to get to with football, so we're going to talk about that. I also have our weekly podcast MVP, LVP, and Terrible Tweet segment. All that and a whole lot more coming up right now. I'm going to get to today's interviews in just a couple minutes, but before I do that real quick, I just wanted to pass along a programming note. I've been fortunate and blessed so far to have high quality guests on the first few episodes of this podcast, and that's going to continue. Next week, I have Tyler Dunn coming on. Tyler is a national football writer for the Bleacher Report and honest to God, one of the very best football writers in the entire country. He's also one of the nicest guys. I'm sure he's going to have a lot of cool stories and we're going to get to know him. So I can't wait to do that next week. And then over the next handful of episodes after that, I got some stud guests coming on. I really do. One of the greatest wide receivers to ever play for the Buffalo Bills. Eric Moles is going to be on the show. I have former wrestler turned very popular podcaster. Many of you guys probably know him from his ECW days the best. Stevie Richards is going to be on the show. I have 30-year veteran of the Buffalo News, a baseball and hockey writer, Mike Harrington's coming on. Mike's one of the most opinionated guys you're ever going to meet. And some people love him and some people hate him. But I respect the hell out of him because whether you like it or not, he has some really strong opinions and he has no fear to use them. I can't wait to talk to him. The other thing I wanted to let you know is that starting the week of Monday, March 26th, this podcast is going to twice weekly. I will continue to have shows every Monday, but I'm also going to have a show on every Thursday. Double the fun for the Moranalytics podcast. 
I know how excited that must make you. Being serious though, I just don't have enough time doing one show a week to do all of the stuff that I wish I could do. So by having a show on Thursday, I could start allowing more time for doing other things. For an example, I want to recap wrestling and I don't get that opportunity on Mondays, but having a Thursday show, I could do that. I'll recap Raw and SmackDown every week and preview upcoming pay-per-views and I'll have a nice little rotating panel of guests on to talk wrestling. I'm going to be covering a lot more baseball, especially Yankees baseball. I got some really good sports writers out there who cover the Yankees. I'll have them on with regularity. Just a lot of stuff I could do. And I really want to do two shows a week. Okay, so now that I got that out of the way, let's do this Doran Dickerson interview. And then right after that, Pat with Pucks. All right, my guest today is former Buffalo Bills and NFL tight end and current part-time sports talk radio show host at 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh, Doran Dickerson. Doran, thanks for popping on today. I appreciate your time. Hey, Pat, thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to uh, you know get, top it up with you and talk some football and talk some other things. <laughs> All right, and we're going to have, a, for the most part, this is going to be a pretty light interview, but I need to start with at least something that's serious to a lot of people, and that's the NFL Combine. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Darius Geis was a, an LSU running back prospect, was at the Combine, and reports came out that he was asked some really highly inappropriate and offensive questions by, uh, I don't know what team it was, but there were NFL executives that do interviews with the prospects every year, and they asked questions that a lot of people think were out of line. There were reports that came out that he was asked about his sexual orientation and if his mother was a prostitute. That's crazy. You were a prospect in 2010, you were at the Combine, and you were asked these same type of questions. Talk about your experiences when you were being interviewed at the Combine. No, it's crazy that that came out, and I read the article about it, and I was thinking, I was like, man, you know, back in 2010, I had the same encounter. I mean, I'm not going to name the team, but there was a tight end coach that I walked up to his table during an interview, and the first thing he said is that he had a, you know, a southern draw to his... <laughs> To his to it, so the way he uh, spoke. So he was like, "Doran, are are you gay?" And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Are you gay? Are you a homo? Are you a homo?" And wow. I was like, "No." He was like, "Okay, okay." I mean, I, I was just wondering. I was like, uh, "Okay," and sat down, and just went along with the the interview, and it really caught me off guard. I think what they're trying to do is just see how you react to those questions. I don't think that they're really like being prejudiced about uh, anybody, about gay people, about whatever your orientation is. I just think they want to see how you respond to. Uh, off the wall question like that is, and at the time, I mean, I didn't really think about you know going to uh, say Sports Illustrated or anything and saying like you know this coach asked me this question. I was just like, hey, I guess that's part of the process. I didn't know at the time, so I mean, that's I, I went through the same experience as guys did. So it's a pretty common thing. I mean, it's not unique to one coach or just this one player. Do you feel like this is something that happens often at the combine? Yeah, I mean, I've heard other stories. I've heard worse stories than that. Uh, you know, guys just get put in situations. I remember, I mean, even whenever I was at the Senior Bowl, uh, a team called me, like, in the middle of my sleep. Like, I think it was, like, the third day of practice at the Senior Bowl. It was, like, 2.30 in the morning to come down and interview me. And I went downstairs out of my sleep, and they just, like, belittled me the whole time. They're like, you're not even going to be good. You're not even going to get drafted. We don't even know why you're talking. We're talking to you right now just to see how I reacted and just to see if they could catch me off guard, which they didn't. You know, I was pretty – uh I was pretty tuned at the time to what was going on and interviews and everything. But you know, I think a lot of coaches and a lot of teams do that to just see how, what reaction could get out of guys. Now, I understand that to an extent. 
you know, you want to get a reaction. You want to see how they might handle an adverse type of question. But don't you feel that there comes a point where something's just offensive and, it, and it's over the line? I mean, if you're interviewing for a CEO position at a company, I don't think you're going to be asked if you're gay or if your mom's a prostitute. I mean, it, it, there has to be some type of line that's drawn, some type of league rule with some type of consequence for asking these type of questions, especially in today's day and age. Yeah, and like you said, especially in today's day and age. I mean, maybe in 2010, we weren't as aware of, you know, the gay population and, and how sensitive some people can be to that subject. So maybe in 2010, it wasn't as big of a deal. But nowadays, I mean, you have to be cautious of what you say because you might really offend somebody. And, and, and that's wrong. You shouldn't, it shouldn't matter what your sexual orientation is. If you could play football, you could play football. And, and I, I think it's totally wrong for them to do that, especially you know, back in my day and now. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's a disgrace, and they should just end that right now. I agree. I couldn't agree with more. Now, in, two, in 2010, interview stuff aside, you had a kick-ass combine. I, I really, the, your name, I remember hearing your name at the combine. I did, honestly, I, I didn't know too much about you before that, but you really made a name for yourself at the combine. You had the fastest uh, time among any tight end there. I think you ran like a 4 four forty. And you were like yep. third or fourth best on the bench. I think you had like 24 reps or something like that on the bench. I remember hearing 43 and a half vertical. I'm looking at the stats now. I mean, you really, the term could be used as a positive or a negative, I guess, depending on how you perceive it. But you had one of those true workout warrior type of combines where somebody might come in who's low key and they, and, and they make a name for themselves and they end up getting drafted because of what they did at the combine. What was your overall experience? And I said, awkward interview aside, what was your overall experience? What do you remember from the combine the, the most fondly? I feel like it was just more hyped up than anything. I mean, I remember walking in there and like, I, I wasn't really injured at all in college. So uh, the hardest part is going through the medical and the guys that, you know, tear their ACLs in college or have shoulder surgeries, labrum surgeries, you know, they're getting like three, four MRIs a day uh, uh, for, for different teams. So that's the hardest part. Whenever you go and run and do your drills, I mean, there's, only so many people in the stadium. There are only so many scouts and coaches that are there. It's like, it's quiet. It's, it's, it's empty. There's not that much enthusiasm. So I, I think it was like way over overrated the whole experience, but you know, I was always a good tester. Even in high school, I remember going to Nike camps and winning Nike camps, the awards and spark. I was always a good tester. So I knew I was going to do well. It was just the fact that I, I was a tweener and, you know, I was 200 and about 30 pounds and I wasn't really a tight end. I wasn't really a receiver. So I think that was my issue. Now, if you catch a guy that's 6'2", 250 pounds and runs like me at the combine, he's going to get drafted really high. You know, I mean, that's, that's just the case nowadays. So, but my experience, it was pretty good. It was, it was fun. And, and I always will remember it. And I still hold the record for the vertical and the 40. So that's nice to see every year. Uh, so being relaxed was the key for you. You know what I mean? A lot of people might go yeah. in there a little overhyped or, or too nervous. It, it, it sounds like you had a, a nice relaxed vibe going about you as, as you went to Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, I was very relaxed. When it, I think another part of me being relaxed is that I was, you know, whenever I was training, I mean, I was running four three fives consistently. So I knew I was going to run fast. And that's probably why I was so relaxed. And when I ran, you know, a four four flat, that was just, you know, I was, I was so laid back. Because I knew that whenever I was practicing and when I was training for the 40, I was running four three five, four three four consistently. So that might have been why my experience was better, because I knew I was going to run fast and jump high and, 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 and bench really good. So Right. Now, growing up, you played high school ball in Pennsylvania, and you brought up Tweener earlier. I mean, you, you played all over the field. You played wide receiver, you're running back, you played some quarterback, you were corner. I, I'm looking at stats. You scored 30 touchdowns as a senior. You're one of the top-ranked kids in the whole state, a four-star recruit by Rivals.com. 
you ended up choosing Pittsburgh and, and you chose it over Iowa, Michigan, and Penn State, among a couple other schools. Did you come close to going to any of those other schools or was it Pitt all the way for you? You know, that's a funny story because uh, towards the end of my recruiting, I, I committed my senior year, the summer of my senior year in high school, I committed to Pitt because I didn't want to be a distraction to, uh, to my high school team. So I committed to Pitt in the summer and I was still going to recruit it. So towards the end of like my recruitment process, about January and February before signing day, USC was coming in, Florida was still recruiting me and Michigan was still recruiting me. And, uh, you know, just, I, I went to Coach Wanstead, and I was like, Coach Wanstead, I was like, USC wants to bring me out for a visit. I know I'm committed to Pitt, and I, I just want to see what you would think if I just went out there and took a visit. And I'm already committed at the time. He was like, Dorn, if you come here for the next four years and take care of business, you could go to Southern California anytime you want to. That's all. That's all I needed. To, that's all I needed to hear from Coach Wanstead. I mean, he he really put me in my place and was like, "Listen, if you come here and take care of business, you could live in Southern California. You don't need to go see it now. Just stay here and and, and don't even entertain that." So he really just kind of eased the the tension down of other recruiting or other schools recruiting me at the time. We all grew up as kids, and we want to play in the NFL. We want to be we want to be stars. We want to get recruited. We want to go to the to the best colleges. You were one of those rare kids who actually got to experience that something. A lot of kids only wish they could. What was that experience like for you when you're in high school and you're drawing the attention of a lot of these big name schools? Uh, it was unbelievable. And, you know, I really applaud my younger self. I mean, I was about 16 years old whenever I was getting recruited. I think I had like 40 plus offers when wow. it was all said and done. And, you know, you know, big time schools. And I really applaud my young self. I was very humble and I was very uh, smart about the situation and staying home and going to university of Pittsburgh and literally going 20 minutes away from my house was the best decision I ever made because of the opportunities that I have now here in Pittsburgh and people still recognize me and still remember my name. That was the best decision I made. And I knew that when I was younger. So I really do applaud my younger self for making such a, a big decision. And that's not easy. I mean, it's not easy whenever Reggie Bush is calling you to come stay in Southern California and then Urban <laughs> Myers calling you. And it's not an easy decision. And I, I really applaud my younger self and my parents for helping me with that process, but it was awesome. I mean, it was great. It was very, it was very, uh, it opened my eyes a lot. And especially nowadays, it's like, it's, it's way crazier now with the cell phones and Snapchat and all the social media. It's way different than it was when I came out. Now your younger self, what position did you like playing as your younger self? Cause you played like freaking 30 positions. <laughs> what did you like you know, playing my, the best? I know. If I could go back, I'd probably play running back. And a lot of schools recruited me as a running back. Uh, I love playing running back. My vision and my size and my speed, I was a downhill back. If I could go back, I'd probably just literally just say, I, I, I'm a running back and this is where I'm going to go. And, you know, maybe I, I could probably fit as a big 10 running back. I mean, when I was coming out, I was about 215 in high school. So I was pretty big. Mm -hmm. But yeah, running back, was, running back is my favorite. I love running back. So you end up going to Pitt. And as a true freshman, you're, you go there as a wide, you play wide receiver. Then when you're a sophomore, they decide to switch you to defense, and now suddenly you're playing a linebacker. Over your last two years, you go and uh, they move you back and you play offense, you play tight end. As a senior, you catch 44, 45 passes, I'm sorry, 10 touchdowns. You're named an AP All-American. Looking back, do you think it was a, a blessing for you or was it frustrating to play three different positions, You know, have your position switched three different times in college? Do you think that was a, did that help you or did that hurt you? You know, Patrick, I mean, you could look at it any way. And, you know, kids nowadays, I feel like they're looking for the easy way out. And I could have easily transferred and been like, you know what, I'm going to a different school. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're messing around with me. They're switching me positions. They don't know what to do with me. I don't know what to do. But moving from a running back to wide receiver 
to linebacker to fullback to tight end. I mean, I learned so much, and now I know the game. I mean, I knew whenever I moved to tight end, I knew where the linebackers were dropping. So I just cerebrally, I just really, really grasped the game even better from playing all those positions. And plus, you know, I stuck through adversity, and I got through it. I mean, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, and some kids need to just really stick it out. I mean, that's how you learn. That's how you learn who you are. At the end of the day, if you stick it out and get through adversity, those who get through adversity are the ones who are successful. And I believe that you got to get over the hump. You can't just run away from your problems. And I applaud my uh, a little bit older self from high school that I did that too. Again, so I mean, it was a <laughs> it was it was a great experience, and I learned so much, especially moving to the next level in the NFL. You know, I, I really really grasped the game offensively and defensively. Now you mentioned bouncing around a little bit, so especially over the first few years, you get drafted by Houston. You're there a couple of years. Uh, you briefly were with Pittsburgh for uh, literally a couple of days. And then December, 2011, you were signed to the Patriots, uh, practice squad. Now, were you on that team at the end of the season? Were you on the practice squad? Cause that's the team that went 13 and three that year and, and they would go on to the Super Bowl. It, that was, that was an unbelievable experience too. I mean, going for the, playing for the Patriots and learning from uh, guys like Rob Gronkowski and, um, and Tom Brady and Bill Belch. I mean, they, they, they literally taught you how to play the game at a different level and it, and it opened your mind up of different rules and how things you could do in situations of the game. And that, you know, that was helpful for my career too. Now, what led to your opportunity with Buffalo in 2012? Well, believe it or not, I mean, I, I talked to coach Wanstead. Coach Wanstead was a linebackers coach there. And he called me and said, Chan Gailey's looking for uh, H back. And I was like, well, I have the, per- I have the perfect H back. Darn. Yeah. Yeah. Coach Wanstead talks like that. Like, Darn, yeah, I told <laughs> I, I told Chan, and um, yeah, I told him I, I know the perfect guy for the for the role, and uh, you know, Thorn Dickerson, he'll come up and they'll play your H back. And Doug Whaley was the assistant GM at the time, and he went to Pitt too. So it was kind of some pit ties there that brought me to Buffalo, and that was an unbelievable experience too. Now you came to Buffalo in 2012. You were here for 2012. That was a very stressful time in Buffalo, on and off the field, on the field. It was stressful. For, and I'm talking both the organization and obviously the fan base, too, because by that time, you're talking 13 years into what would become a, you know, a, a 17 year playoff drought. And, and beyond that, 2012 was the last year of the lease with uh, the county of Erie. And you had that and you had the whole Toronto series thing going on. Ralph Wilson's health was getting worse. There are a lot of fans worried that the team was going to move. You know, that, that that the end was near in, uh, for Buffalo and that they were going to become the Toronto Bills or the Los Angeles Bills, something like that. Eventually, the county would get a 10-year lease sign. But it was, a like I said, a very anxious and stressful time for Buffalo. Do you have any recollections of that? I mean, I know you were there for a year and, you know, you came in May. But do you recall tension or an anxiety that this could be the end, that the Bills could be on the move? Because it did feel like a realistic possibility at that time. I feel like there was a lot of uh, uncertainty in the building. Almost so like every day. I mean, whenever we got to like the midpoint of the season, the building was like empty. I mean, there was no enthusiasm. There was no, uh, you know, I mean, Chang Gailey was just like really monotone. He, he, did, he didn't really uh, lead meetings that well. And it was just like, what are we even doing here? Are we just playing the, for a play, paycheck right now? Or are we playing for a playoff spot? We didn't know. There's a lot of uncertainty in the building. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why we didn't win. I feel like we were capable of winning a lot of games, but we didn't. And I just, there was no enthusiasm. There was no leadership. There wasn't anything. It was just, we were just there playing football. It was, it was, it was a weird experience and, and a good experience at the same time, because you know, I come from the Patriots organization where I see, you know, 
uh, we went to a Super Bowl to where there's like no air in the room in the midseason when we played for Buffalo. Now, I enjoyed my time in Buffalo. Yeah, I did. And I, and I loved everybody that I played with. But it just seemed like there was no leadership on that team. And you could just feel it every single day. Do you think that maybe, like especially with Chan Gailey, because he, he ended up, uh, that was his last year with Buffalo. He'd get fired after that. Do you think that maybe that uncertainty had anything to do at all with why that team only went 6-10? and 10? That uncertainty of, of what what is our future? Where is our future going to be? Do you think that had anything to do with it? I never thought of that, and now looking back, maybe you know they know way more than what we know. I mean, we're you know we're just there learning plays and and and, and playing the game. But you know the brass and upstairs and the coaches they know what's really going on, and that might have been a part of the whole situation of why there wasn't any leadership and why there wasn't any enthusiasm in the locker room, in the team meeting room, whenever we were uh, running meetings and on the field. So that's a good point, Patrick. That's a very good point. I didn't even think of that. Look, I look back at that team and I remember it pretty well. And I always felt like this team is better than six and 10. I, I just, there was, a, there was, ta- there was talent on that team. I mean, you have Freddie and CJ Spiller, two good running backs. Stevie Johnson was still good at, at wide receiver on the defensive line. You had Mario and Kyle Darius was, uh, I think it was his second year, maybe at the time. It was, it was a roster to me that was indicative of being plus, by the way, very good draft that year. Got to give buddy Nick's credit. I mean, Stefan Gilmore, Cordy Glenn, Nigel Bradham. It was a hell of a draft. It turned out to be three good players. It just felt to me like that was not a team that should only win six games. Yeah, that's how I felt, too. I mean, I think that we had a lot more talent than uh, what it showed on the field. And uh, that had to do with everybody. I think everybody collectively could have been better. It's not just the coaches. It's not just the, uh, you know, the players and the, and the GM and the scouts. I think everybody collectively could have been better, even in the strength room, uh, in the strength and conditioning part. I mean, I, there was just no there's just no push. There was no want to, to want to be better. It was, it was pretty odd. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's the NFL and every team is different. Uh, every team I played on was different. So, I mean, you go it the way that you think is the best way to do it. And, you know, we were six and 10. And so this is what it is. You know, <laughs> I remember <laughs> 2012. <laughs> I remember Twitter. I remember you signing with, with Buffalo and I was pumped because again, I remember back in 2010 when you kicked ass at the combine, I was like, we got, I want this freaking guy on my team. So you sign here. I'm pretty pumped. And I know you're not going to say it. So I will. I thought the bills had, Pretty shitty tight ends. I do. Scott Chandler was all right. And whatever. Lee Smith, come on, man. You know, I'm like, you're here. I'm pumped. I, I, I was frustrated that I felt like you never really got enough opportunity. And I remember near the end of the season, you uh, it was against Miami. You had four catches for uh, 54 yards against Miami. It was right before Christmas. I, I, did yep. you, did you, I don't, you know what, what I don't remember. Did you get hurt that game? I don't. Yeah, I, I, I sprayed my ankle. Yeah, all right, because you didn't end up playing in the yeah. finale against the Jets because the, the next game was right. the finale against the yeah. Jets. Right, right, right. I, I don't. I was just frustrated. I, I felt like, and again, I know you're not going to say it, but it's like I didn't think there was a lot in front of you at tight end, and I, it just bothered me that you weren't afforded more opportunities with that offense because I, I thought there was enough talent on that offense to be good, and we talked about that. I just feel like, man, I, I wasn't a fan of what was in front of you. Well, it's crazy because in OTAs, when I first came in, I obviously made it through like a, a tryout, a rookie minicamp. They like snuck me in a rookie minicamp. I was like in my third year, and I made it through there. And then I went to OTAs, and then like midway, midway playing through the OTAs, I was running with the ones. Like I was, I was, I me and Scott Chandler were like number one, number two tight ends in OTAs. Yeah. 
Sorry about that. And OTAs. And, and, and then we go into camp and then I'm not even like, I'm like running with the threes and I'm like, what's going on? Like, why, why aren't we running the same things that we were doing in OTAs? And it was just mind boggling. And I think that, you know, they were a little bit biased towards Lee Smith and, and, and Scott Chandler with Metzelars being the tight end, Metzelars being the tight end coach. I feel like he resembled them more and just wasn't used to a guy like me. I don't know. That's the only thing I could take from it. That's a fair um, You're right. I, 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 I wish I would have got more opportunities because, I mean, I went into that Miami game and I was killing in practice every day. It's not like I was like slacking. I mean, every single day I was giving it my all in practice and going against, you know, I was on the scout team offense and just crushing the defense every day in practice. I'm like, why am I not getting any opportunities? And then I get a chance to go in uh, the Miami game. And I have, like you said, four catches for 50 some yards. And that was just like, it, it, that was just, I, I wasn't really like trying. It was just, you know, I was just open just because I mean, I'm just like, well, I could have been doing this all year, you know, right, it was very right, frustrating. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it was frustrating, and then yeah, it is what it is. What kind of teammate was Mario Williams? Oh, you know, I played with Mario in Houston too. So I love. I, I actually really like Mario, and uh, you know, he took me under, not took me under his wing, but you know, he treated me way better than he probably should have treated a rookie my rookie year in Houston. And then you know, I mean, he used to bite me over, you know, take me out, and stuff like that. So whenever I got to Buffalo, he was kind of like you know one of my buddies that I knew. So to me, he was a good teammate, but maybe to other people he wasn't. I don't know. But to me, I like him a lot. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of people who weren't fans of him, my least favorite player, maybe in the history of the Buffalo Bills, was Dante Whitner. We, I, he wanted to fight me. <laughs> I think this happened before. <laughs> this happened before you got there. I'll give you the real quick abridged version. I wrote a column. I, it was in like 2010. I wrote a couple columns, and I wasn't very uh, praiseworthy of him. And he read it. He did not like it. And long story short, he started talking shit to me on Twitter. He challenged me to a boxing match. It, it like got national but, attention. I, I just, <laughs> that guy talks so much shit. I'm sorry. He did. Again, I'm not going to ask you to, I'm not going to ask you to uh, talk negatively of former teammates of yours, but this guy talks so much shit, never backed it up. I'm sorry. He did it. And, 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 and to be, to be fair, to be fair to Dante Whitner, part of it is, he was drafted higher than a lot of people thought he would be. He ended up being the eighth overall pick. And so, you know, oh, wow. he kind of had, you know, a little bit of a bar set too high, but he just didn't deliver on his words in Buffalo. And he was really surly to the media. And I, not even that I was a media, I was just a blogger. But I mean, I'm like, th th this freaking guy wants to fight me because he doesn't <laughs> like what I wrote about. He did. He challenged me to a chair, a boxing match for charity where basically, you know, raise some money for charity so he could beat the shit out of me. <laughs> but, yeah, that is that's funny that's crazy <laughs> it did it, it this is all a true story it happened i i actually he was there he wasn't there where i was there oh really he, he was gone? there uh through, yeah he was gone so i never really oh uh, that's right he was any, gone. yeah yeah i never really had any uh interaction with him i think i played against him like one time but you know all in all throughout my six years of the nfl i had pretty good teammates i'm not even gonna lie <laughs> I was, well there wasn't that many teammates that where i was like eh, i don't really know about this guy well obviously aaron hernandez but Right. Other than that, of course, <laughs> you know, other than that. Right. So listen, in late December, 2013, you were with Detroit at the time. You admitted to the media that you had suffered a, a concussion, at least a mild concussion against the Giants. And you tried to hide it and you tried to play through it. I mean, things are different now and over the last couple of years with concussion protocols. And I'm sure you weren't the first guy. It was, I'm sure it was very common to try to play through head injuries like that. Was was this more common than fans think, you know, guys getting banged in the head and still trying to play through? 
Well, I, you know, at the time, I mean, I was a guy, like I was a bubble guy. So at, at the time in my head, I, you know, I did get dinged up in that game and, and in my head, I mean, I started that game. That was like my first start of my career because Brandon Pettigrew was out. It was my opportunity to really, uh, you know, showcase my skills. And I had like, I graded out like 98% uh, that whole game. I mean, I had a great game up until I got hit in the head. And I was like, you know, I got to push through this because this is my opportunity to really show and, and really stay on a team for a long time. And that's what was going through my head at the time. I was like, you know, you got to push through this. You got to push through this. But yeah, I wasn't all there. I mean, it was yeah. I, I probably should have came out. I uh, I made a you know a decision at the time that a lot of guys would have made made, and I'm sure guys still go through that. They're like, hey, should I play through this or should I come out? And it's a lot stricter now, like you said. But that was my thought process, just being honest. Sure, I completely understand. Well, like you said, yeah. you know, you're trying to make an impact. You're trying to make a name for yourself. Yeah. You're trying to stick around in the league. So I I get it. Right. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I completely understand it. Now, how do you feel about the rules that are in place now with this concussion protocol, because obviously, you know, if this would have happened to, uh, to you last year, you wouldn't have had that option. They would have taken you out. You know what I mean? Do you, do you think it's something that's good for the league now? I, I mean, I'm thinking that you do agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very good. I mean, you, head injuries, I mean, they're serious and you know, we weren't, we weren't made to play football. I mean, human beings were not made, your brains were not made to get rattled and put a helmet on and hit each other in the head. I mean, that's just not what we were supposed to do. So, I mean, head injuries are serious. We know what we were signing up for by playing football, but head injuries are very, very serious. And you should take uh, caution of any time a guy maybe looks queasy or gets knocked out. You should definitely be cautious about that and take them out and then evaluate them because, I mean, this CTE stuff, I mean, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. You just hear more stories and more things, and it's pretty scary for a guy who's, I'm going to be turned, what, 30, 30 years old this month, and it's going to be, you know, it's pretty scary to think where I'm going to be at when I'm 40. So, sure. you know, they have to be cautious about it, and I think they're doing the right thing in the league. Next year, so the following year, you go to uh, Tennessee. That's when you get bit hard with the injury bug, man. I mean, that sucked. Yeah. August 2000, you tear your quad, right? You tore your quad in 2014. That puts you on uh, yep. IR for the season. So it's over before it starts. And then, la- and of course, the next year in 2015, you tear your Achilles in minicamp and have season-ending surgery, which effectively, you know, ended your career. Look, it's in God's hands. I get it. And just bad luck. But how frustrating is it to to have these physical injuries that are so much, you know, they're beyond your control. You're, you're a great athlete. You're in incredible shape. But, and then you suffer these injuries and they're just completely beyond your control. And, and, you know, it controls your fate. How, how hard is it to deal with that looking back? So it is, it is, it's difficult. And the, you know, the thing about my opportunities at the time, like, you know, like I said, like going back to the Detroit game, uh, going through my head is like, you know, I worked my whole life to get to that Detroit game. I'm like, I worked my whole life to be a starter in the NFL and I get a chance and I get a chance to prove myself. And, you know, that's why I got, you know, Got, got it through whatever I was going through at the time. And then going to Tennessee, it's like I worked so hard to get these opportunities. And Ken Wisenhunt and Mike Malarkey, who was my tight end coach at the time, they loved me. You know, they had, you know, I, I mean, I was going to you know, play. I was actually going to have a role in an offense and be, you know, uh, be used the right way. Me and Delaney Walker were going to be used the right way. And just to get hurt back to back years, you know, it's crazy that they had the, enough confidence in me. So I went there and tried out in July. Uh, I think it was like the last mini camp. And then we, you know, I, I made the team and then they're like, all right, come back in a month for camp. And I go there for camp for like two weeks and I tear my quad. Yeah. I tear my uh, hip flexor and then I'm out for the season. And they had enough confidence in me and they saw enough in two weeks to bring me back the next year. And then I get brought back the next year 
and then I tear my Achilles. And it's just like, you know, it's just sometimes you just run out of luck. You know, it is what it is. Um, you run out of luck, but, you know, I had a good time playing the NFL. Sure. And, you know, there's always yeah. haters out there. No matter who you are, there's just haters. It's just the way the world works. And, you know, some will say, well, Doran Dickerson, he, you know, he bounced around. He didn't do shit in the NFL. But you know what, man? Listen, you got to live your dream. You got to be part of an exclusive fraternity that millions of kids, myself included, we grow up and that, that we dream about. I mean, what does it mean to you now? You know, you're a little older, more mature now. What does it mean to you to have made it all the way to the highest level of football in the world, to, to, to play and make it in the NFL? It's pretty surreal. You know, it really is surreal. And like, you know, obviously my friends, I still hang out with my friends that I, I grew up with and they kind of just look at me sometimes. They're like, man, like, you know, it, we, it, we watch the games now on Sundays. We're like, I can't believe that you played that. And sometimes I can't believe I even played it either. It's like, such, it's like another life already at this point. It's like, wow, I can't believe that I walked out of those tunnels with an NFL logo on my hat and, and, and played and competed at that level. It's very surreal. And I always cherish it. And I have two boys now, one, one and a half and three and a half. And, you know, I, I'll explain to them how important it is to do the things that, you know, maybe I did whenever I was younger to get to a, a high level like that. Not necessarily in the NFL, but whatever they want to do, make sure that they get to a high level and make sure they know what it takes, the sacrifice, the pride, the, the, the resilience that it takes to get to a high level and compete and, you know, make a name for yourself. Because I believe that I did do that, especially here in the city of Pittsburgh. And I'm happy that, uh, you know, I got that opportunity. Yeah, I'm sure you will support them with whatever they do, but do you think yep. that you will encourage your sons to play football when they get older? Not, no, not at all. I would not encourage if they, if they want to play football and they ask me to play football, then they could play. But you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, you're, we're, you're signed up for football this year. No way. I'm not doing that. They could do whatever they want to, as long as they're the best at it. Great attitude. It's a great attitude. Yeah. So now, so now you're doing some sports talk show hosting with uh, the fan in Pittsburgh. How did that come about? How's that been like for you? Do you like doing it? Oh, I, I love it. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was done with football. And, you know, I've had a lot of opportunities. A lot of people have contacted me about different things. And uh, a guy that, uh, that, that works in the Larry Richard, he's been, you know, a talk show guy for years here in Pittsburgh. I mean, he's the sideline reporter for the, the Pitt Panthers football team, and everything. And I became good friends with him over the years. And I kind of contacted him one day. I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about getting into, you know, broadcasting or something. He's like, hey, I mean, you know what? The radio station's looking for part-time guys. Dude, would you want to do that? I was like, Hey, I'll try it. And then literally the next week I was on the radio, not having a clue of what I was doing. <laughs> and it, it, not having a clue. And then from now, I mean, that was a year ago and now it's like night and day and I've learned so much. I also did a podcast too, uh, last year, which helped me get on the radio a little bit. So I had some like film quote unquote film is what you want to say. Like that's a football term. Uh, I had some film to show them like, Hey, I could speak a little bit and talk about football. So now it's like night and day and I love it. I love uh, interacting with fans and with people and hearing people, you know, bitch and moan about <laughs> Pittsburgh sports all the time, but it's fun. It's right. great. It's great. It's a great opportunity. It's, it's, it's a great uh, uh, avenue to get to maybe where I want to be someday. Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you sound really comfortable talking, which obviously if you're going to be on radio, that's a good thing. Is this something you see yourself wanting to do long-term? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I could see, I, I kind of want to do some uh, color analysts, maybe for pit football, um, do some radio, just bounce around, do some different things and, uh, you know, see where it leads me. I, I love talking especially about the sport of football, but here I talk about all sports. I mean, baseball, I talk about pit basketball, who's terrible. Obviously. Um, I talk about hockey. I mean, you, uh, you know, so you got to broaden, you got to broaden your mind a little bit. You can't just be stuck on football all the time because 
So even though it is Pittsburgh and they love the Steelers, they want to hear about the Pirates. They want to hear about the Penguins. So you got to broaden your mind a little bit. All right, one more Bills slash Pitt question. We'll tie it in together. You're a Pitt guy, obviously. Nate Peterman went to Pitt. Is there any chance at all that Nate Peterman is the Bills' starting quarterback in week one this season? I'm, I don't think they view him as a long-term solution. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious at this point. But did he get completely thrown under the bus and screwed over forever because of that one San Diego game last year where Tyrod got benched, he goes to San Diego, put in a bad situation, and he played bad too. I mean, let's just say that. He was terrible that game. But he throws five picks in one half. That's almost like it's his legacy already. Kid's just a rookie. Well, going into his second year now, that sucks to have that as your legacy. I mean, that's what people talk about now. Is you? I'm sure you probably, if you don't know him personally, you've seen him play at Pitt. Do you think there's any chance he's he bounces back from this? Do you do you see uh, a future with him with the Bills or in the NFL? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about football is that you probably get another opportunity, especially like if you if you go down to like plays. I remember like if I were to drop a ball, I'm like, listen, I'm gonna uh, move on to the next play. So now for Nate Peterman, it's like move on to the next season. He's gonna get opportunities in preseason. He's gonna get opportunities in OTAs and all that stuff in practice to show that he is worth. Uh, you know, the fifth round pick that they picked him at and the show that he's worth is be a backup or a starter in this league. And I do think he's going to get opportunity. I think he's going to show everybody how good he really is. And that was a tough situation. That'd be a tough situation for anybody. I mean, think about that getting thrown in there in, a, in an NFL game, you're a rookie and just, it, it was very tough uh, to watch and I felt bad for him, but I believe him. I believe in him as a person and as a man that he will overcome that and become uh, the quarterback that, you know, they drafted and they saw once at Pitt and coming into the NFL. All right. As we wrap this up, let's do a real quick little mini lightning round. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Give me a quick answer. Favorite teammate of your NFL career? Calvin Johnson. Toughest guy you've ever played against? Uh, Julius Peppers. Favorite college moment of your career? Favorite college moment of my career? Um, whenever, I, whenever I scored my 10th touchdown uh, of, my, of the season, my senior year, and looking in the stands and, and hearing, you know, the PA announcer saying, this is Doran Dickerson's 10th touchdown of the season. And to think that where I started, like I was moved around certain positions, I could have transferred and all went through my head at that time. I'm like, wow, this is where I'm at right now. This shows that, you know, if you fight through adversity and fight through everything, that anything could happen. Favorite TV show to watch? Oh, man, that's a good one. Favorite TV show to watch right now has to be... Oh man, what's uh, man? Um, oh man, that's a tough one. Um, better call Saul right now. Well, good one. All yeah. right, man. I like yeah. that. I it's like not, that. It's not, well, better that. call Saul is not on right now, so maybe I'll give you one that I'm watching right now, and that would probably be um, oh, Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> <laughs> that's my girlfriend's doing though. She got she 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 swindled me into watching that. And now I'm obsessed with it. I love that show. That's how I was with this. With the, this was us. Did I want to watch it? No, I can't stop. Right, right, right. Just can't. All right. Last thing. Advice you'd give to young kids who dream of playing in the NFL someday. Actually, let me rephrase that because just the NFL is such a high shot. Advice to young kids who would dream of getting a college scholarship and get an opportunity to play college football someday. Believe in yourself. Believe in your abilities. Believe in, in, in what you are capable of doing. Push yourself to the limit. Make sure you know that. Everybody has a dream of making it to college or the NFL. 
So you have to do something different than everybody else is doing and believe in yourself, never lose confidence in yourself and really just be humble, be humble, be a humble person and good things will lead in your direction. Good things will you know, direct you to success. If you're just a humble person and you're nice to people and that's, what, that would be about it. Last question, and don't let me down, man. I know you're only getting ready to turn 30, but give me your favorite 80s music artist. Oh, I always end every interview with a little bit of 80s music. Now, I know it's I a little it. bit before your time, but come on, man. Oh, I, you you got to like some 80s I music. I love 80s music. So, I mean, I got to go with, um, mm, man, Bobby Brown. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? I knew I liked you for a reason. <laughs> I knew I liked Bobby you for Brown. a reason. New, new, maybe new, <laughs> awesome. new edition, Bobby Brown-ish guy. Those are yeah, my tops. I'd listen to those still today. I mean, every day. Doran Dickerson, folks. Doran, thanks for coming on, my man. I really, truly appreciate it. Great talking to you. Best of luck with the, with the radio and everything you do. Hey, I and appreciate Come back it. on again sometime. Absolutely. I'll be on anytime you want me to. I really appreciate you having me coming on, man. All right. Have a good one. All right. You too. Pat with us. To the victor belongs to sports. Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking ass? The customer is usually a moron and an asshole. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but then... I know I hyped this as an all-football edition of Padwood Pucks, but before we get into football, real quick, I have to give a quick shout-out to UB and St. Bonaventure Hoops for going to the dance. UB, for a third time in four years, won the MAC tournament. They're a 13, and they're going to face Arizona. While Bonaventure, because they did not win their tournament, they're forced to a play-in game on Tuesday against UCLA and Dayton with the winner playing in Florida or against Florida on Thursday. So good luck to both those teams. And also, before we get going, I want to say a big fat fuck you to Paul Casey for shooting a six under today to win by one stroke and ruin a potential Tiger Woods victory day for all of us. Because if it wasn't for Casey, that prick, we would be having a Tiger Woods, Patrick Reed playoff to talk about tonight. So fuck off, Paul Casey. All right. <laughs> Enough about that. You tell him. You tell him. Well, I mean, come on, man. Phil Mickelson wins last week. Tiger's in contention on Sunday. And of all people, I could see Speed from McElroy. Fucking Casey, really? He was good like 10 years ago. Let's just skip that shit and get back into football. The big news, Tyrod Taylor, of course, gets traded. A bombshell on Friday. Not maybe so much a bombshell that Tyrod Taylor got traded, but that he got traded, but with the Bills not having to pay him a $6 million bonus. And even more than that, and this is just blows my mind, that they were able to get the 65th pick overall from Cleveland. What's your take on that? Boy, I, I would say exactly what yours is. A bombshell for that exact reason. Not picking up the six. Uh, the value of the pick that they got. I, I was pretty confident that Taylor would not be back. I lo- thought it was a gamble uh, what they were doing to, um, you know, to try to move him. Thought that ultimately the gamble would be uh, judged on whether or not they were able to recoup enough to validate picking up the six. And it turns out, not only would I have said they recouped enough with that 65th overall pick to validate picking up the, the six mil, they don't pick up the six mil and get a draft pick that to me would have validated picking it up. 
Uh, an absolute home run by Bean, no doubt. It completely blows me away. I mean, again, I saw maybe, and this is assuming that they did pay him the $6 million. I said maybe a fifth or a sixth. But to get an early third, which is pretty much a late second because it's the first pick of the third round. Before moving forward, I, at least I want to say this. I'm, I, it was the right move for the Bills to do. They had to trade him. But let's not be, and I'm not talking about me or you specifically, just as a fan base. Don't be so quick to bury the guy on his way out. At the end of the day, he got this team into the playoffs. He did a lot of good things. He wasn't the worst quarterback. He wasn't a world beater by any means, but he was a pretty good quarterback. He deserves a lot of praise from Bills fans on his way out, and I hope he's treated well for the rest of his career when it comes to his time with Buffalo. I think he's getting the praise. I think people who think that uh, he got a, an unfair shake or, or that you know fans are piling on as he leaves town are simply looking at the fans who wanted to move on and saying that that in and of itself was some sort of attack on Taylor uh, career here in Buffalo. And I think you could do both. I think you could want to move on and still appreciate uh, what he, what he accomplished here uh, coming in very unheralded. And um, you know, I, I think that more defines what people's position is on it that they're that they do appreciate his time here and at the same time they were ready to move on and they're thrilled that they've got a uh um, an administration that felt the same way and got a major asset in doing it sure and like i yeah i just hope that uh i hope he's thought of filing during his time here i see mixed reactions on twitter and on facebook but it is what it is regardless they moved on now here's one thing that not a lot of people are talking about one of Ty- Tyrod's strengths was his ability to make plays with his legs, and he covered up some deficiencies on this offensive line. He's gone now, and I highly doubt whoever is replacing him on week one is going to have the kind of athletic ability that Tyrod does. This is an offensive line that needs fixing. It needed fixing when Tyrod was here, and we really saw that when Peterman was in the game. Get knocking around. I mean, there was just no time to throw, and if you couldn't move around in that pocket, you're in a lot of trouble. So you got Eric Wood is gone. Richie Incognito is getting older. The right side of that line wasn't good to begin with, back or not. So this is a team that they're going to have to devote some resources. And I'm not even talking about Ryan Gorse uh, replacing Wood at center. That goes without saying. But on that right side of the line, and maybe even Incognito, if not this year, then by next year, there's a lot of work to do, whether it's free agency trade or using some of these uh, draft picks that they've accumulated. They got a lot of work to do on this offensive line, though. Yeah, there's some heavy lifting that needs to get done there. The only thing that I'll say, though, to the point of, um, you know, Taylor's escapability and, uh, you know, against the rush and, and how that may have benefited, you know, the line overall. We're also talking about a quarterback who held on to the football too long. Sure. And always waited, you know, for, or for a play to break open um, that was intended to be thrown open. And he put himself under uh, a fair amount of pressure in doing that, uh, as well as, you know, he took some sacks, you know, in doing that, too. So I I think I don't know exactly, you know, what what the balance is going to be there in terms of, you know, now that you get a little more rhythm passing versus, you know, the the, guy without unlikely to have the escapability that Tyrod had. 
you know, is it going to cancel each other out? Probably not. Your point will still, you know, ring true. But I'd, I'd, I'd be remiss not to bring up the fact that he also did a disservice at time to the line by, uh, you know, by the way he played the position. You think Mills and Nikasi are both back on their right side? One of them, either, both? Yeah, I do. I, I think they like, uh, you know, Nikasi had a uh, had a multi-year deal. I, I think that Mills was multi-year as well. So with them both on the roster, I think they'll attempt to upgrade there. But in all likelihood, it will be uh, with youth that takes a year of grooming uh, in order to upgrade. And, you know, maybe one guy, maybe there's a, maybe there's a stud over there uh, via the draft or, or someone in free agency, you know, that's ready to take that, you know, that Jordan Poyer type leap, uh, albeit, you know, on the other side of the ball. And maybe one of those two on the right side, you know, gets, gets upgraded that way. You know, right now, I think smart money is on that being the right side of your line. Well, they'll be protecting somebody. And now with this trade, especially if it wasn't obvious already, it, it seems pretty clear cut that the Bills are all in on getting one of these highly acclaimed quarterbacks in the draft. They already had the ammunition before. Now they really have it having that 65th pick. How far do you think they're willing to go to get into that top? I don't know. I want to say three to five, maybe to make sure they get at least one of those first two quarterbacks. They're willing to go as far as they need to go to beat anybody who may also want their guy. <laughs> that's, you know, and, and that's the first time that I've, the first time that I've said that ever since, you know, this, this sort of talk began, but yes, this, this particular move um, and what they were able to add. And the fact that they did it before, uh, you know, before free agency, it is, it is screaming. We're going to do, whatever we have to do, you know, if the Miami, if Josh Rosen's our guy and he is the Miami Dolphins guy as well, we're going to beat you. All right. If we're, if we've got a deal with the giants at two and Miami figures out a way to, uh, you know, to entice the Browns at one, well, you rest assured the Browns will pick that phone up and call us and we'll beat it. We'll beat anybody's price to get our guy. That's, that's that's it. At this point, I'm I'm there. We'll beat anybody's price to get our guy. Do you think Rosen's that guy? I'm not 100% sold on that. I, I'm not. I, I mean, I like Josh Rosen's personality. I like his outspokenness. I think McDermott's a kind of a football-y kind of guy, man. You know, he's the... Uh, you know, I think of I, I mean, I think about standing during the anthem and all that. And the Bills put out a very unified, smart front when it came to that. But I do think I do think Rosen probably has some detractors from some of his social outspokenness. I can't say for sure. All right. And I'm not even saying I'm hedging that way. But it wouldn't shock me. If. Sean McDermott was one of those detractors. If the Browns at one takes Saquon Barkley, which is very realistic, considering if they don't make any trades, they could take Barkley at one and be guaranteed, at worst case, 
one of three quarterbacks at four. And that's if everything goes against them. In all likeliness, they're going to get maybe the second quarterback off the board if they go that route. If Cleveland takes Barkley one and the Bills go all the way up to two, I'm not so sure. And I don't know, maybe a lot of people won't agree with this, but I think Sam Darnold might be the first quarterback on that board. He might not have quite the ceiling that Josh Rosen does, but he just feels to me like a more accurate, safe pick. And I'm not necessarily, if you're going up to two to go, I don't care who it is. There's nothing safe about going up to two. Your mortgage in the future. I'm just not completely sold that Rosen is their guy. It might not even be the guy over Josh Allen either, by the way. I mean, we're just hearing a lot of speculation from media and fans talking. Nobody really knows right now, but one of my favorite things about this draft is it really is a mystery, man. We don't know who they want yet, but it's got to be one of those three guys. And again, if Cleveland takes Barkley first, all bets are off. I definitely think if the Bills want their guy, maybe three with Indianapolis working something out with them, it's got to be by three because come four, Cleveland's going to, they might look to deal again. So they got to get two or three. And I think that it might be Darnold over Rosen. I really do. I love that point. Um, and here's why, boy, I'm agreeing with you way too much here, but yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're on this, we're on the same page. I, I, we, we need to do some sort of special, uh, like, you know, fantasy baseball, uh, offshoot, uh, podcast and, just just so that people can see that we 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 truly do butt heads uh, at our best sometimes. But seriously, here's the thing with Darnold, and it's really important, I think, to 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 bring this up. Sam Darnold was the first quarterback that I heard the Bills were in love with, and it was during the course of the season. And the interesting thing there, man, is that that is not the time that teams are are putting up smoke. Right. No they're putting up they're putting up smoke screens now during the draft period after the season, that sort of thing. I I, I I can't remember where it came from. I feel like it was somewhat credible. It didn't it didn't end up, you know, with a whole lot of steam. It didn't end up, you know, r- really making the rounds that much. But Darnold was the first guy that I heard the Bills attached to and you know the the phrase Bills are in love with. And I think you might be right, man. I, I, I think you might be right. I think the interesting thing with Cleveland, too, is is what does, you know, the um, the trade for Tyrod Taylor say in terms of their timeline uh, for a rookie quarterback? If it is, let's say, a Josh Allen, then a Tyrod Taylor for two years makes sense. And I'll be watching free agency closely to see who you know, who fits the short-term mold of, you know, the placeholder for the potential rookie match. Like the guy, the team that signs Keenum isn't going Rosen. Okay. They're looking at Keenum as a potential answer. Okay. And then maybe hoping if he's not that a Rudolph is. So, but I think we, we can talk about the free agent, uh, aspect of it. I just, I just felt like, you know, as we, as we try to dissect Cleveland a little bit, we try to dissect top tier, uh, you know, quarterbacks at the, at the front end of the draft where, where Buffalo's looking to slot. Um, I think the, the free agent placeholders that these teams sign or trade for leading up to the draft might give us a little, uh, a little bit of insight into, you know, who they're, who they're gearing up for in the draft.
Well, let's go there when it pertains to the Buffalo Bills. If they are indeed all in on getting a rookie in, in the top of the draft, which it certainly appears that they are, and Nate Peterman is the lone incumbent at this point, they got to sign somebody. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Rosen, Darnold, Allen, Baker Mayfield, doesn't matter. I don't see them going into week one with rookie and Peterman only. So <laughs> having said that, where do you think this team is going in regards to getting that veteran whether it's a placeholder, someone who will come in and at least give Peterman competition, whether it's for a starter or a backup, depending on who the rookie is, where do you see them going when free agency starts Thursday or soon after that when it comes to the quarterback position? Well, I, I tweeted this to my 100, now down to 98 somehow, loyal Twitter followers. You found two Look, bots? Th- yeah, yeah, two bots. I think they are going to get the Mike Tolbert equivalent of the quarterback position uh, coming into this year. I think they're going to get, you know, I don't want to just say they're going to get a bump, but they're going to get a bump. They're going to get someone who has been around a lot of quarterback rooms, a lot of systems, and they are going to get a teacher and a good teammate in that room with Peterman and their soon-to-be prize jewel. I don't expect it to be someone that anybody is thrilled with. The narrative then immediately will become your rookie needs to be ready to start on day one, and it will ultimately become Nate Peterman's job as the placeholder until that rookie is. I don't think they're going to get anybody special, man. I just don't think they're going to get anybody special. Anyone hoping for Bradford, Keenum, uh, people have have brought up McCarron. Yo, this team is not going out and signing A.J. McCarron before they go and get, you know, uh, a top five uh, overall quarterback in the draft. It's just not the right – it's not the right recipe. The recipe is – an older, uh, old in the tooth veteran guy who's been around and who can, you know, be an internal leader in that room to spread Dayball's message. It's not going to be anyone who excites us. Your description just screamed Ryan Fitzpatrick. Of course, he just resigned with Tampa. Man, that sounds like that kind of fit. The only other guy I could think of is Matt Moore off the top of my head. That could be the type of guy that comes in, and I agree with you there, not going to excite a single soul if you go out and get a type like Matt Moore. But again, if you have, and by the way, one other thing, I did interview Doran Dickerson earlier. He, for obvious reasons, because he's a pit guy, he is much higher on Nate Peterman than a lot of other people are. He thinks that Nate Peterman still has NFL ability, at worst, a good backup and still potentially a starter. Now, we've kind of hit on this a little bit before, but are we already writing Nate Peterman completely off? He And I don't mean in terms of being a future franchise quarterback, but, you know, like you said, these veteran guys, is he, is his ceiling a really good backup quarterback or is he shot already? He's not shot already, man. He is not shot already. And I don't even know that his ceiling is real good backup. All right. His ceiling very well may be serviceable starter. And, 
you know, I, I understand how ridiculous it sounds to actually want Nate Peterman to start this season for, you know, uh, for a playoff uh, team from last year. But do you know how many dynasties are built from falling ass backwards into two quarterbacks and all of a sudden, you know, now you've got, uh, you know, not, now you can move one and build, uh, you know, future drafts with it the way the New England Patriots did with, you know, with Bledsoe and how they, you know, were able to turn him into God knows how many picks thanks to Tom Donahoe. I'm not saying that, that Nate Peterman's going to become a household name because he starts eight games before the kid comes in, but I could see him winning in this league and I could see him winning with this team. Okay. And putting the bills in a position to have to, or to be allowed to uh, move the, you know, again, the prize rookie uh, along at a pace that they're comfortable with. I'm high on Nate Peterman too, man. I like the way he delivered the football. I like the way he delivered it, you know, as, as guys were coming in and out of breaks and stuff like that. I feel like San Diego was an, was an anomaly. And, um, you know, until he's ruled out of the plans, uh, you know, for my beloved football team, I'm happy that he's in the plans. And I'll talk about him as though he's in the Let's move on beyond quarterbacks. Now, Preston Brown's a key free agent. His return is up in the air. According to spot rack, Preston Brown's market value in free agency is expected to be around four years. And I read about eight and a half million per. Let's just assume that those numbers are relatively true. If he's getting eight and a half million, do you think the Buffalo Bills are bringing him back? Do you think they want to bring him back at eight and a half million per year? Bye, Felicia. All right. No, eight and a half is too heavy for that player. I agree. I mean, listen, <laughs> he is a tackling machine, but when did he make an impact play? I'm not trying to diss Preston Brown. He's not a bad player. You could do a lot worse than having Preston Brown be your line, middle linebacker. But come on, man. This guy didn't have an interception, a fumble recovery, a sack. I don't, I don't, he didn't do anything except make a bunch of tackles, just like Paul Bozlesi used to do when he was on this team. There's no way the Bills should pay eight and a half million. And I don't care about his leadership qualities or any of that other stuff. Eight and a half million, you better have a stud middle linebacker out there. I think you could get a guy a lot cheaper, whether it's in free agency or the draft. I don't think there's any way that he's coming back. Now, with free agency, last year the Bills, they did a really good job quietly in free agency. They ended up getting Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer a great safety tandem, one of the best in the league now. Is there one or two guys out there that you think could really help this team that they might be able to find a free agency? Well, I mean, you asked me that question last year, and there's no way in a million years, even if I was, you know, really in touch with the, with, with the free agency market, there's no way in a million years I'm coming up with Mika Hyde and Jordan Poyer. Hell, I had never even heard of Poyer. So, you know, and I had barely heard of Hyde because, you know, he was the, the return man uh, for Green Bay in, in Madden 17. So, you know, there's probably a guy out there just like that that we've never heard of. Now, I say that jokingly. I think we probably heard of him. I turned to, uh, I, I turned to Sal's most recent 
free free agency preview on the defensive side of the ball. And he mentioned Anthony Hitchens from the Cowboys. I don't know this about Anthony Hitchens. I had to read about it to know it. But he's a guy that apparently can play all three linebacker spots. And it's, you know, everything. I mean, that's just that's just a guy in sale, you know, digging deep, you know, to find the unspectacular but smart um, options. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to look I'm not going to pretend to look at a free agent list and and uh, have have done the, the sort of work that a guy who does it for a living does. Um, Hitchens jumped out at me. Uh, as a, as a really interesting prospect by way of uh, by way of Sal's story on on like five guys defensively. Uh, a name that we are familiar with, Bills fans are very familiar with. I would really like to see Nigel Bradham back. I love that guy when he was here. I think he was a really good player. He was just a terrible fit when Rex Ryan came in. Ended up in Philly with Jim Schwartz. He's a free agent. Word is he's leaving. In fact, I don't know exactly where, but I saw somewhere that Buffalo might be the the betting favorite for his landing spot. I'll tell you what, man, bring that dude back, have Milano on the other side, get yourself a middle linebacker in the first two rounds of the draft. That's a hell of a, that's a hell of a linebacking unit to me right there. But with a good secondary too, I'll take that all day. That's one guy I would like to see return. And I know a lot of times when someone leaves, like I hear Sammy Watkins, you know, Sammy Watkins ain't coming back to Buffalo. Let me tell you that right now. But a guy like Nigel Brattle, man, I could see him here, and I think it would be an excellent move. In a heartbeat, I you know, and, and I'd sign up for Bradham before I signed up for you know Hitchens or any of those under the radar guys. But I think Bradham is going to be in that, you know. And I'd be interested to know what what um, uh, Spot Track put him at if they put Brown in the eight point five range because I think Brad. Yeah, well, I don't know how much less. I think Bradham's a better linebacker than Preston Brown. I'd love to have him. I just I I think the Bills want to go a little more under the radar, you know, with with the Hyde Poyer type of guy. And I I think that's the one position that um, that I'm fairly confident they will be looking at uh, that first Thursday and Friday of the draft. I, I think they're, you're, you're going to get a, uh, a linebacker from whatever remaining picks they have. I think you're going to get one uh, pretty early. I love the idea of Bradham though, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'd love to have him back. Now, Jordan Matthews and EJ Gaines. Those are two guys that ain't coming back. And I heard uh, Brandon Bean say that he wouldn't rule out Gaines coming back. It's full of shit. EJ Gaines isn't coming back. They're not coming back. So what about some of these lower tier guys that the Bills have that are free agents that no one really talks about? Do you think any of them might be a solid little re-signing? There's a couple guys that were, you know, they had pretty relevant roles on the team last year. I'm talking guys like Cedric Thornton, Leonard Johnson, Sharice Wright, Deontay Thompson, Brandon Tate. Is there one or two guys from that list that you would say to yourself, man, you know what? Get this guy back. He's helpful. You mentioned my one. And then mentioned another one that um, that I could uh, potentially see. The one answer that I had is as you were as you were asking the question is Leonard Johnson. Uh, it was great, you know, compliment in that secondary. An excellent tackler from the uh, from the slot corner position. The only thing that would make me nervous about Leonard Johnson 
is that with his age, it would probably be a one year. And now you've got, again, all right, two of your top three corners on one-year deals, or you'd have two of your top three corners on one-year deals with Johnson and Vontae Davis. So that's the only thing that would, you know, give me a little bit of pause with uh, with Johnson in terms of building that position back up a little bit and not leaving you in need of two corners again. Um, and Deontay Thompson. Boy, he was getting a lot of burn late in the season, man. Dude was blocking. You know, um, they loved him as a blocker. They loved him as a football player. And the only thing that made me pause a little bit on thinking, man, they are absolutely bringing Deontay Thompson back is when they signed Rod Streeter to a futures contract. Now the position's getting the, the back end of the position, I should say, you know, is 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 getting a little uh, crowded again. It's the front end of the position that um, that probably needs the help now. And, you know, the, the back end of it, Thompson would be a good uh, a good fit there. But if he costs anything you know, from the amount of, of playing time that he got last year, if other teams liked what they saw, uh, if he costs anything more than, you know, a little bit above a, a vet minimum, I think they'll just go young. What did you think of the Chris Ivory signing to be on the comp pick for 2019 at Formula? We all know what the Bills are doing right now with these guys that they're signing. I'm not talking about 2019 because this is 2018 first. What did you think of that as a pure football move for 2018 or did you think anything of it at all do you want to know one of the first things i thought of with it man was i equated it to the quarterback i i immediately thought well you know there's another veteran in the backfield so i've got two veteran running backs i've got the veteran fullback in demarco you know i think i i think that is a sign that they are going young and, and inexperienced at the quarterback position. Now that could be a reach, man. All right. That could be a big time reach right there. But that really was one of the first things I thought about is veteran running backs. All right. To complement a, uh, um, a younger quarterback, as far as the player himself. Yeah. He seems to have a good skill set to, um, you know, to, uh, to work off shady. I just hated, what everybody uh, seemed to pounce on in terms of the money, it seems like they overpaid. And I'd say they did for Davis too. You know, everybody's like, geez, they left and, and still came back. Well, I, I think they both left and came back because the bill's offers were about, you know, uh, two to, to, to three times more than, than what anybody else's was. But obviously they like the player and these guys haven't given us much reason not to trust their eye um, to this point. Last Bills thing, and we'll move on from the Bills. What the fuck is up with Kyle Williams? <laughs> no word yet on his retirement. That leads you to think that he's probably going to play. You, you would think that if he was going to retire, it probably would have happened already. What's going on with Kyle Williams? And if he's not retiring, is he coming? Do you think he's coming back to Buffalo? My guess is, man, that shit that went down with Eric Wood did not please Kyle Williams very much. All right. You know, that is his boy and his boy's day got really, really messed up because, you know, of, you know, some of the things that the the bills uh, looked for him to do or say 
so that they could, uh, you know, so, so that they could save a little bit of, uh, a little bit of money. And they weren't, you know, they weren't out, they didn't, you know, they did not screw Eric Wood. Okay. But they screwed with his day a little bit. And, and again, that's Kyle's boy. So any goodwill that the bills may have had with getting an answer from Kyle, uh, for the sake of their timeline may have been lost on that day. Now, does that mean that it is so strained and he is so peeved over that, that if he wanted to come back and play football, it wouldn't be here? No, I don't think that's the case at all. But I don't think Kyle Williams is currently jumping through hoops to give the Buffalo Bills an answer, all right, after uh, after that Woods uh, press conference debacle. So this is entirely going off on uh on kyle's timeline right now and um and the bills might might deserve that little bit of fuck you do you think that he knows already though if he's gonna play or not you think he's 100 percent. 100 he knows free agency starts thursday it's gonna be crazy it already is crazy they start negotiating you'll probably start hearing deals monday and tuesday for i'm sure. fired up dude i am fired up for noon tomorrow. I mean, let's just think about tomorrow. All right. Free agency, you, you know, scuttlebutt starts at noon brackets left and right to fill out. All right. My fantasy baseball leagues are finally amping up, getting ready to, you know, to, to, to put drafts into motion. You know, people talk about, Oh, this is really all that exciting time of year. The same suck. Da, 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 da. Fuck that. I'm fired up for tomorrow. I really wish you didn't throw the sabers into every conversation that we have on this fucking segment. I told you we will talk about the sabers. When is the season end? Early April. We'll I we'll talk a whole segment about, about the November. sabers. Yeah, exactly. The season ended fucking in November. The season ended for me on December third because I have not watched a full game since. But I share your overall. What TV show did you say? What was that at noon? Scuttle what? What you- scuttlebutt free agency scuttlebutt oh i thought you're talking about a tv show what the fuck nah man like i said if it ain't right if it ain't on rabbit ears i ain't getting <laughs> ain't no free agency scuttlebutt on two four and seven well i'll tell you what the bills trading tyrod and getting that pick and knowing that they're all in on, on the quarterback a rookie quarterback it kind of took a little bit of suspense away about what maybe surprise might have been in store for buffalo come free agency the fact remains there are 31 other teams in the league and there are some free agents that are worth talking about. So I'm going to run down a couple of these quarterbacks and I'm going to give you my guess because that's all it is right now. Most of them anyways, a guess where they end up. Tell me if you agree with that or tell me what team you think you could see them on. And I'll start with Kirk Cousins. That's the obvious one. It seems pretty clear cut at this point that he's going to Minnesota. You in with that? I'm in with that, but I have a rooting interest in in Cousins as it relates to the Bills. I am rooting for the Jets when it comes to Kirk Cousins because I think that will take McCown out of play for the Jets, and he is the ideal guy to fill out that Bills quarterback room. So I agree. I agree. I think everything is pointing to the Vikings, the way they're going about business right now. You know, with their existing quarterbacks soon to be, you know, no longer there. But my my hope is that the Jets jump in on that. A because Cousins doesn't scare scare me uh, in the division, and B because I want 
I want Josh McCown, <laughs> if it's that McCown. I got Case Keenum going to Denver, which would probably help the Bills if that were the case too. So what do you think? Case to, case to Denver? I'm cool. I'm cool with that. A lot of flexibility there. It gives Denver a lot of flexibility. If they like Keenum, you know, for to take to take another little run while their window is open with this good defense, um, you know, then they can trade out of five, you know, and and go to that next tier of guys if they, you know, if if they're not entirely sold on Keenum, they can get a developmental, you know, Josh Allen type. Or or give Mayfield time to develop at five. So uh, Keenum gives the the Broncos a lot of flexibility, and for that reason, um, I like it. I had AJ McCarron going to Cleveland as a foregone conclusion, which of course was before the Tyrod trade. So now I could see him ending up in Arizona or Bridgewater, and I could also see Bridgewater ending up in Cincinnati. And assuming that Cousins does go to Minnesota. I think McCown could resign with the Jets because at that point it makes a lot of sense for him to come back while they go get maybe a Josh Allen or something like that. The one guy I could see lingering around for a while is Bradford. I don't know that any team wants him right now. You know, he might be one of those, let's wait and see. And if we don't get the guy that we want in the draft or we don't get Keenum or Cousins or somebody like that, then you go fishing around for him. I don't, I'd be surprised and I'll probably look like an idiot when you hear a report that he's going to sign somewhere tomorrow or Tuesday, but I could see Bradford lingering around for at least a little while. Well, he's got to linger around long enough for, to get physicals at least, man. All right. Because this is a guy, this is not a guy that you're calling up his agent and simply making an offer to you have to get Sam Bradford in your building and in front of your doctors. So for that uh, alone, um, and I guess the same would probably be true of Bridgewater, you know, but for that alone, you know, there, there won't be any immediacy to it as there might be able to be for an otherwise healthy guy like McCarron or Keenum. But I, I, I still, when I think about the free agent quarterbacks, and I like, you know, the exercise of trying to match them up with the team. I mean, shit, that's more fun than, than what I'm about to mention. But the intriguing part of, of the free agent quarterback carousel for me will be term and dollar as it relates to that team. And then looking ahead to the draft and trying to figure out what does that player at that term and that dollar amount mean to their target in the draft. That to me is going to be a super fun part of, of the quarterback position in free agency. All right, two more little uh, quick league notes before we wrap this up. Seattle. What's going on with them? Sherman's gone. He's with the Frisco now. They cut Jeremy Lane. Michael Ben is in Philadelphia. They might trade Earl Thomas. Man, did that defense ever fall apart so fast? I think they just had a very toxic uh, situation brewing in the locker room. And they smartly uh, addressed it one year early instead of one year too late. Probably going to take a step back, uh, especially with, you know, the Rams seemingly the, uh, you know, the new, the new kings of that division. And with San Fran now, uh, you know, making their moves, I think they're, I think the Seahawks might be punting this year, man. I think, this, I think the Seahawks might be punting. But again, in the grand scheme of things, might be the right time. 
Well, one team, as we wrap this up, that's not punting seems to be the Cleveland Browns. Sure, they got Tyrod. And you know what? They also went out and they got Jarvis Landry. And they went, then they go to trade with Green Bay and they get Demarius Randall, a very good corner. These are surprising moves. I thought Cleveland was going to build entirely through the draft. But these are three pretty big moves that say, yo, man, it's time to fucking start winning some football games right now. Well, I'll stop well short of Tredavious White's Twitter statement. You might as well start calling them the Cleveland All-Stars. Slow your roll, youngin. <laughs> I love you. He said that? All right. I I'm, I'm, somebody did. I think it was White. You know, they, there were, I was, you know, somebody was pointing <laughs> out Bill's player comments. Um, you know, with the Tyrod trade, and I get it, man. You know, he's your boy. You know, you got to the playoffs with him. He's he's your first, you know, NFL quarterback. You love him, and he's, you know, from all for all intents and purposes, from what we've heard, a very likable teammate. Yeah, but somebody busted out. I think it was Trey White busted out with man. You might as well call him the, you know, the Cleveland All Stars. And somebody said like, you know, like who's next, Stephen LeBron? Like, yo, man. We're talking about Tyrod Taylor and Jarvis Landry here, all right? Slow your rolls. Good for Cleveland. Good to have them, um, you know, back at least in the conversation. Uh, I am down to play with Tyrod uh, on Madden. I'm all about it. You know, they they still have to build a core uh, out of this draft. Nothing's changing uh, overnight. Uh, on the basis of these trades. Well, I mean, you know, God, nothing's changing overnight. Look, they go from a zero-win team to maybe a six-win team. So, yeah, okay, that's a significant change. But the sort of change that, um, you know, that, that, that people think might be on the horizon, no, nah, that, ain't, that ain't there yet. Well, you know, I'll give you this much. If you're a Tyrod supporter and you're one of those, because there are a few of them, not many, but there are some who are mad that the Bills traded Tyrod Taylor. They wanted him back. If you're in that camp, he might, Tyrod might go on to have a better year in Cleveland this year than he ever did with Buffalo. When you factor in that they got Landry, and if he could stay uh, in control of himself, Josh Gordon, who's one of the best receivers in the NFL in terms of talent, and then they're probably going to get Saquon Barkley. Fucking, there's weapons in Cleveland for Tyrod. Yeah, man. I mean, those, it, it's, uh, but it comes down to Tyrod. You know, yes, he'll have those weapons. He had Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, who proved to be a pretty damn good uh, receiver in this league. LaShawn McCoy, uh, you know, Charles Clay, who's, who's, you know, an above average tight end. I don't know. You, you know, you can name all those weapons that you want in Cleveland. Someone's got to get them, you know, the football. And I just I've seen I just I've seen it too many times where the right guy who should have gotten the football didn't. So I don't know that it's going to matter who those guys are. But if they're good, that's I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. Unless we suck and then people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe they traded Tyra. That will be an absolute fucking disaster. All right? Like, if we look back. And you know it's coming. Oh, God. If we have to look back. Because, you know, the rookie wasn't ready, you know, and, and Peterman sucked or whoever the, the you know, uh, the free agent is sucked. If we have to look back uh, on Cleveland having a big year and actually regret the Taylor trade, that is not 
going to be a fun conversation for a lot of people who supported this move. Did you celebrate the 40th anniversary this past weekend of the Incredible Hulk debuting on TV? How'd you celebrate? Well, in order for me, in order, in order for me to celebrate said anniversary, I would have had to know that it was said anniversary. Now, normally I like to beat the shit out of your entertainment takes, but my man, there is nothing but love. All right. For Lou Ferrigno and Bill Bixby. <laughs> I'll talk to you next week. Tone pucks, Pat with pucks. Thanks for coming on. Peace. Terrible tweets. Tell me I did not just see that. So if you don't know who Omar Kelly is, and if you're not in the South Florida area, or you're not a big football fan, you probably don't. Omar Kelly is a columnist and a beat reporter who covers the Miami Dolphins with the South Florida Sun Sentinel. He's also one of the most insufferable douchebags of anyone in the sports media. Anyone. That holds doubly true in Buffalo. I think Omar Kelly has half of Buffalo blocked on Twitter. And that includes half the Buffalo media, his peers, his colleagues who cover the NFL. He has half of them blocked too. I'm sure that'd include me if I mattered, but I don't. Regardless, I preemptively blocked his ass a few years ago. So take that asshole. Anyway, Omar Kelly probably wishes he could block everyone in the world on Twitter right now because he's looking like a complete toolbox and an idiot after a series of tweets that proclaimed there was no way, no way, the Miami Dolphins would trade star wide receiver and franchise tag wide receiver Jarvis Landry. He said there's no way he's getting dealt. And he did that in a series of tweets. Someone asked him, what are the odds the Dolphins keep Landry and not trade him? Omar Kelly tweets, trading him isn't realistic. Sorry for all those who are hoping it happens. Then he comes back again, same day. And he says, again, For Jarvis Landry to be traded, he must first sign his franchise tag, which will commit $16 million to him. Then, a team has to be willing to give up something equivalent to a second-round pick for him. (laughs) Wrong. Then sign him to a mega deal. Who do you really think is foolish enough to do that? Lastly, on that same day, someone suggested the Browns. And Omar Kelly says, y'all must think the Browns are run by morons still. Check again. Well, Omar, on Friday afternoon, in what was the first of several big trades that involved the Cleveland Browns, the Miami Dolphins dealt Jarvis Landry to the Browns, not for a second round pick, as you suggested what it would take, not having a mega deal sign, as you suggested it would take, but no. Cleveland gave up a third and a seventh for him. No mega deal, at least not as of now. Good job tweeting, slap nuts. Omar Kelly couldn't be more wrong. But what else is new? And more importantly, what does it really matter? You try to call him out, he's just going to block you anyway. So go ahead, Omar. Keep up with these terrible tweets. You are such a loser. Loser! You're a loser! Moranalytics LVP. LVP honorable mention this week goes to Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. 
I love me some Rachel McAdams. And for my money, Jason Bateman is one of the most underrated rom-com actors of this generation. I truly mean that. But together, they just did a movie called Game Night, which I saw this weekend, and it was a steaming pile of shit. One of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. I expected so much more having such a good cast, but it wasn't. It was trash. I'll save the trouble of a long description, but in short, a group of buddies who meet regularly up for game nights, they find themselves trying to solve a murder mystery that was supposed to be a game that supposedly turned real. The only mystery of this is why the fuck anyone would spend two hours of their lives watching this movie. It's just that bad. Take my word for it or don't. Go waste your money and your time and watch it if you want. But my LVP for this week, and it breaks my heart to do this, is American Idol. I don't care how much you make fun of me. I worshipped that show for 15 years. Well, maybe not for 15, but I worshipped it for a good 10. And then I spent another five hanging on and watching just because I loved it so much. I loved the process of finding a music star every year to come out of nowhere and make it big. And you got to admit it, you could love or hate American Idol, hate on it all you want. But this show produced some of the most iconic stars in the industry today. You're talking Kelly Clarkson, Carrie Underwood, Jennifer Hudson, Chris Daughtry. Fucking, I can go on for quite a while. I'll stop there though. Anyway, the show ended after season 15, was it two years ago? And I'm good with that. Sometimes all good things have to come to an end, right? Well, American Idol just got rebooted, retooled, whatever you want to call it. And it's fucking Awful, awful, beyond words, awful. Ryan Seacrest is back, which is great. But you know what? As great as Ryan Seacrest is, he cannot save this show. Out of loyalty, I tried watching the premiere tonight, Sunday, and I just can't. I I didn't last 25 minutes. That show should have stayed buried unless they brought back Simon, Randy, and Paula. Bring them three back, then sure, Give me Idol. Give me Idol forever. But don't bring back American Idol. Call it American Idol and give me Luke Bryan, Katy Perry, and Lionel Richie. That's just terrible. And that show is terrible. I hope the ratings are so bad that they have to speed up the season and end it prematurely so I don't have to read or see or hear about it ever again. Sad to say, American Idol, LVP. Moranolytics MVP. You the real MVP. Ever since our TV screens went dead black in the waning final seconds of the Soprano series finale, all the way back on June 10th, 2007, we have waited and waited and waited and waited some more for series creator David Chase to finally make a movie for the fans. More than a decade after arguably the most compelling TV series that has ever been made went off the air for the final time, words coming out that there is indeed going to be a movie. Well, a movie with a twist. The bad news for those of us who are probably spending the rest of our natural lives wondering, did Tony Soprano get gunned down or not in the finale? This movie is not going to offer us even a single hint about that inconclusive last scene. That's because this movie is going to be a prequel. This shit has me feeling like it's Christmas. 
the prequel's working title is called The Many Saints of Newark, and it's set during the infamous Newark, New Jersey race riot of 1967. For those unaware of those catastrophic events, it was essentially five days of rioting that began after the police savagely beat a black cab driver by the name of John Smith. The rioting got so out of control that a police officer was killed and the National Guard was sent in with orders to use their weapons to kill if necessary at will. The movie's official description says it's set when the African Americans and the Italians of Newark were at each other's throats and when among the gangsters of each group, it became especially lethal. The Soprano family is inserted into this real-world drama, which is penned by Chase and Lawrence Connor. Without actually naming names, the studio promised several familiar characters from The Sopranos will appear in this prequel. Going by the timeline, which if they do it accurately, would only have Tony Soprano being about eight years old. This would include Tony's father, Giovanni Johnny Boy Soprano, who was the former captain of The Soprano crew. Of course, that would also mean a younger version of his wife, Livia, and Tony's Uncle Junior Soprano. Chase will serve as producer as well as co-writer, and he will be involved in the selection of a director. He's not going to direct the movie. There's no word yet on a release schedule, but whatever. We've waited this long for more Sopranos in our life. What's another year or two at this point? The Many Saints of Newark. Oh my God, I'm so pumped. Podcast MVP. All right, that'll wrap up this episode. Of course, thanks to Dorn Dickerson for coming on and joining the podcast. Love that dude. Love Dorn Dickerson. Thanks as always to Tone Pucks for coming on and doing our Pat with Pucks segment. And lastly, thank all of you in advance because I know right now you're about to go and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, you're going to leave me a big, sexy five-star rating and drop a few nice words down in the review because that's just how you roll. That's how you roll, man. So that's it until next week. Just remember this. Remember words of wisdom from Patrick Moran. When life pushes you down, just stay down, man. Just stay down until the coast is clear and it's safe to get back up. That's when you can get back up. Not before. Talk to you guys soon. Shout out to the great Kenny Loggins. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.